This is Kangpangula Horror House. Welcome to the Popcorn and Pod People Podcast. Listening to Popcorn and Pod People, a brand new podcast that explores the best and worst the horror and sci-fi film genres have to offer. Tonight's film was released in 1980 with the tagline, Bolt your doors, lock your windows, there's something in the fog. Can you guess what it is? Yeah, duh, it's John Carpenter's The Fog. Before we get going, I want to let you know that The Fog is streaming on the Shutter channel. If you haven't already seen it, first of all, your life is not complete. Second of all, go and watch it. And you definitely want to watch it before you listen to the podcast because we will be discussing spoilers. Alrighty. Hello, Jason. Hello, Jen. Housekeeping. What do we got? <laughs> what do we got? Nothing. Same old, same old. Yeah. No new reviews, no emails. Come on with the emails! I want to read an email so bad. Email us at popcornandpodpeople at gmail.com so we can read that bitch! I want to read it so bad! I'll be really excited. It'll be the first one. Race to be the first. Come on, guys. I'm afraid. (laughs) Why are you afraid? Because you you want this so bad. I want it. I want it bad. I want it so bad. It's like, hurry up and get it out of the way. The fir- Whoever does it first, I mean, it's going to be disappointing regardless. No, it won't. It'll be awesome. No. I'll it squeal. Won't. I'll squeal a little bit. I'll go, We have t-shirts at tpublic.com. There's a link to our storefront on the website shop page. The website is popcornandpodpeople.com. Uh, we've got buttons. We've got bumper stickers as a reward for patrons at uh, patreon.com slash popcornandpodpeople. Same old, same old. This is not new stuff. All right. Housekeeping is out of the way. That was quick and easy. Like an already kind of clean bathroom that just has like a little bit of diarrhea squirt that you just have to scrub out and then you're done. The rest of the bathroom's clean. Like that's all it was. Kind of nice. I feel like I'm being baited. You are. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to uh, get a special story out of you, Jason. <laughs> Jason has a real special story to share. You're not going to share it? Uh, uh, there's, there's there's no context. It involves diarrhea. Yeah, but it doesn't, doesn't flow. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> Send us an email. Maybe I'll explain it. That may be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. We're covering the fog. released in 1980 i always think of that saturday night live bit duh bears duh bears do you remember that yeah duh fog yeah (laughs) duh sand it works for anything sure doesn't this ever sound tired or duh jaws (laughs) over overdone (laughs) duh phenomena duh fog (laughs) duh fog you doing Okay, so we watched The Fog. I have memories of this movie as a kid. I think it came on, I don't know, HBO or something. And nobody ever paid any attention to what I was watching as a kid. So I started watching horror movies very early in my life. Too early. And The Fog, The Fog, came on 
one night I'm assuming on HBO because I think that's all we had. And it scared the shit out of me. I mean, it was in 1980, I would have been seven and it probably hit HBO in 82 or something. So I was probably nine, ten-ish when I saw it for the first time. And man, it was scary. And I wish, I wish so badly that as an adult, it retained. And it's just, it's not that the movie isn't awesome. It's just that I'm so jaded and have seen so much at this point that a simple like ghost story like this, it just doesn't scare me as much. I wish that I could rewatch it again for the first time as a 10 year old and just feel scared the first time I saw it, I mean, it was so scary. I remember the driftwood that the kid finds. Right. For some reason, that creeped me out so bad. I was like, don't take it home. Don't don't pick it up. Driftwood? Yuck. And has whale pee on it. Come on. <laughs> don't do it, boy. Don't do it. Find another way to harvest wood. Don't take it home. And any, I've always been creeped out when people in movies find things and take them and put them in their house. For some reason, that has always bothered me. Right next to their beds. Yeah, I'm just thinking, don't take it inside your house where you live with your pets. Ew. So. The pets dig it. I don't know. So that that piece of driftwood was the first thing that creeped me out as a kid, as an adult. The first thing that creeps me out is that Jamie Lee Curtis is hitchhiking. What are you doing, girl? What are you doing? Don't do that. Don't get in a car with anyone. Now she gets in a car with Tom Atkins, and we know Tom Atkins is sweet and adorable. She didn't know that. She just got in the car with some dude. And when I say car, I mean truck. Creepy truck, middle of the night. Here's what's interesting, Jason. They hump. <sighs> they immediately hump. Why? Well, not immediately. It was immediate. They, like, go, they go through a semi-traumatic experience. The shattered glass. Doug glass. He's shaking his head at me. No don't, more of that? Don't narrate. Don't? No. Duh, glass? No. Okay. Duh, no. truck. No. Duh, Tom Atkins. No. By the way, uh, there's a great podcast called Forever Midnight, and they just recently, I think it wasn't the latest episode, but the one before, and they interviewed Tom Atkins, and he's a funny dude. You want to find the name or number of the episode? It's because just... The one before. Oh, I'll put it in the show notes. I will put it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you guys aren't checking out our show notes, you're missing out. Like anything we reference, talk about, like even just mildly mock, I throw it in the show notes. So there are links to everything. And going forward, they're going to come out simultaneously with yeah. the episode. You don't have to wait weeks. I was a little slow on creep. It's still not out. The show notes are still not out, but I'm almost done with them. I, I mean, I chalk it up to the passion that you have mm-hmm. in the project. So the more passionate you seem to be about a film, the more detail-oriented you seem to get about the show notes. More obsessive. No, they're all detailed. Very detailed. They're good. You guys need to go check them out. The Creep show notes so far have two Chris Rock bits. Eddie Murphy. Just go look at the show notes. Just go look you at them. You don't need to run down to the show notes. I'm just saying. They're fun. They're fun. Go look at them. They're That's great. what's wrong with this generation. What? We just like give them everything. I know. We spoon feed it all. And then we spoon feed the spoon feeding. Hey. 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 You lazy listeners. <laughs> Duh. Listeners. Oh. <laughs> we're, we're a little low energy tonight. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, well, unlike you, I don't remember seeing it on K 
cable. I can't remember the exact time. I want to say it was probably a video rental. I definitely remember my parents renting it and watching it. It was part of that string of films that seemed to take place in and around the San Francisco Bay Area. Invasion of the Body Snatchers was one of them. Play Misty for me. It has the granny from Arrested Development in it. Yeah. Play Misty for me? I don't think so. I don't recall them talking about it, but it certainly would have been right up their alley as far as like near San Francisco locales. It came out in 1971. Right. So that would have been a little earlier. They may have, they may have already watched that. But I, Invasion of the Body Snatchers also came out in 77. And so that would have been earlier as well. It's another film that creeped me out as a kid. But I wish I could go back and feel that scariness. You know, you just don't feel it anymore like you used to. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Fog and The Thing were part of a series of films that my parents watched, Reynolds, and I remember them telling stories about it. Ooh. Like the descriptions of the films and the events that took place because my brother and sister and I were all fast asleep while they watched these movies. So they would tell you the story like over breakfast the next morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And then there was a dog with a human face. After they watched it on the Betamax. Did they have a Betamax? Yeah, we had a Betamax. Nice. It was better quality. Was it? I Allegedly. never had one. I never had one. But VHS won out. Well, I don't I don't think anyone I knew had a Betamax. Did you rent Betamax movies? Yep. Where, what did they look like? Like, were they smaller? Little? Yeah, they were smaller. Huh. Never saw one. <laughs> so, yeah. There were two sides of the store. The VHS side and the Betamax side. Oh, that's annoying. Well, if it was better quality, why didn't it last? Uh, poor distribution, I guess. Huh. So- Sony was the only producer of Betamax at the time, and I guess no one else picked it up. Hey, suck it, Sony. You tried and failed. Yeah. First Betamax, then the X-Men. X-Men. The X-Men. <laughs> Spider-Man. The X-Men. So I don't really recall when I saw The Fog. I think... Probably in my teens, I would have rented it. I would have rented it myself, probably at Mr. Video. Do you recall being freaked out by it at all? Or I, I, I mean, I thought it was suspenseful. I liked the ghost story aspect. I thought it was good. I mean, I, I remember getting some jumps out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember being as freaked out as, say, The Thing. Oh, yeah. But there were definitely elements to it that added to its mystique and charm i think too that i had it so built up in my mind that by the time i saw it, it oh really it couldn't help but be had you read about it or than, people talked about no, it? just having my parents talk about it oh. their viewing and how creepy and scary it was and maybe growing up in that area and having been to a lot of the locales it reinforced the idea that this was a fictional story oh okay me, having grown up in Waco, Texas, this looked like paradise to me. I was like, wow, look at that clean beach. <laughs> a beautiful lighthouse, mountains, what are those? And those settings, they're not that far from one another. Like, they're close enough to be called close or local, but they're no in no way close enough to constitute an actual town. It was filmed in Inverness. Do you know right. where that is? And, uh... And then the Inland Bay, the Tamales Bay. 
Is that north of San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Just, just over the Golden Gate in the Point Reyes National Seashore. 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 <laughs> yeah, I've been to that lighthouse Have as you? a tourist. Is it cool? It is. It's a lot of steps. They're easy, easier going down and a long ass time to walk back up. So the parts where she, uh, Stevie Wayne or Adrian Barbeau was inside the lighthouse, is that what it looked like? The... Like, did they film inside the lighthouse or did they just use the outside part? They had used this, the actual location when weather permitting, um, they had built the interior. So like the lower half of the lighthouse. Oh, okay. So our, our uh, I believe those are sets. Okay. I figured the radio station aspect of it was a set. But I, I didn't know. I thought when you said you had visited the lighthouse, I was like, ew, did he go where Adrian Barbeau was? It seems more spacious watching her. But yeah. she's, she's probably a very tiny woman. She's teensy, I think. Yeah, petite. <laughs> so it makes her hair look big. She's got a big hair. All her dimensions. I love Adrian Barbeau. Seem boisterous. When I think of Adrienne Barbeau, most people think of Stevie Wayne as like one of her defining characters. But when I think of her, I always remember her in Creep Show, where she was that obnoxious drunk. And she was great in Swamp Thing. That's I, what I know her from the most. Yeah, I probably register her more in, from Swamp Thing. Yeah, I mean, she was also in uh, Escape from New York. and uh, She had a recurring role on Maud. Yes, TV Maude. show. So I'm sure I saw her there, but again, not not enough. I didn't know her. Well, she was married to John Adrian Carpenter Bobo. during the filming of this, right? And they'd only been married like three months, I think, when they started filming this. So I I, I have a copy of her autobiography or memoir. There are worse things I could do, and I reread the fog chapter just before this, so I could get a little extra insight. And she said that to try to maintain. A veneer of professionalism. They rented two hotel rooms and like kind of stayed apart. But after four days, they were like, this isn't any fun. <laughs> and they just got back, went back to one hotel room. I mean, if you've only been married three months, you don't need to be staying in separate hotel rooms. You need to be getting your bunny rabbit on. Sure. I mean, what's the point of not doing that? They both seem very practical from that, her account in the book. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't dish a lot of dirt. No, not really. She's very respectful. Uh, unless you're Burt Reynolds. So I could see, right, <laughs> I could see uh, her trying to be professional Yeah. with that whole situation, staying to one side, and then... It would be awkward to be directed by you, you know. For those of you who don't, who don't know, Jason is my husband. We've been married 13 years, 13 and a half years. It would be awkward <laughs> to see... Someone taking my direction, especially you. Because <laughs> I don't do it in real life ever. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not used to <laughs> persons doing what I ask them to. Well, you did once assist in a play I was in. Yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of worked together in the theater, but I, I, I don't know about a movie and you directing me directly. Yeah, I definitely didn't direct you. No. I was more of the one-person crew. <laughs> yeah, it was just you and a sound guy. That was it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it was a David Mamet play. Blech. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
You're the one that always brings it up. That's why I hate David Mamet now. Not because he's a Republican. Oh, I didn't even know that. Now I hate him even more. Yeah. I hated doing that play so much. Anyways, uh, back to the fog. What are some of your... I, I don't think we need to. I think everyone's probably seen it. If they haven't, come on. Come on, guys. We already told them to see it. So yeah, go see it. We'll, we'll just assume But uh, I don't think we need to do like a step-by-step narrative of everything that happens. So I just kind of want to talk about some of the things that stood out for us. And Well, one that stood out for you right away was the hitchhiking and the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis has the hookup with Nick Castle. Nick Castle. That's an awesome name. I, I thought it was cool that Adrian Barbeau mentioned that both of her, her her character and Nick Castle, the Tom Atkinson character, were uh, rated by the test audiences as their favorite. The two standouts, and they really are. They yeah. are, they really do stand out. Tom Atkinson, he has kind of a. It's just Tom Atkins. Oh, <laughs> shit! Crap. Tom Duplass. Now He's, you look like a real idiot. Well, Tom Atkinson is from Canada. Atkins. <laughs> I am BD. Tom Atkins seems Canadian to me. Does he? <laughs> Does, Maybe he is. He doesn't seem Canadian Everyone to seems Canadian to Jason. I know. They just, they're so healthy and taken care of. And it's they, true. He seems so carefree. It's true. Like every time, like nice every time Tom Atkins lights a cigarette, he's not, he doesn't seem to be worried. No, he doesn't seem to be worried at all. These cigarettes are good for you, this brand. Take you know? the edge off. Yeah. Kick up those feet. You deserve a break today <laughs> at Marlboro. Country. Yeah. Slims, Virginia. <laughs> you and I both used to be smokers. We haven't smoked in a very long time, thankfully. More than a, de- more than a decade we haven't smoked. Mm. That's awesome. I'm proud of us. Sure. Well, what I was going to say, the, the fact that that's what stood out to you. What I find interesting is that, and I mentioned this to you earlier, was that John Carpenter kind of resists. We're very familiar with the trope of the final girl mm-hmm. and the fact that if you, I mean, it's a cardinal rule in Scream. It's established early on from movies, slasher movies like Halloween and Friday the 13th, that if you have sex, you die. Yep, or if do you, drugs. Right. If you yeah. If you do anything that compromises your purity exactly your cinematic purity if you even act slutty if you even act a little slutty you're gonna die it just paints a target on your back true and whether it's self-conscious or not in the fog two very distinct sort of horror movie tropes are more or less debunked or shattered or rebelled against by carpenter and that's Jamie Lee Curtis does have sex, and so does Tom Atkins. Mm-hmm. And they don't die. And Stevie Wayne is overly sexual, like in her radio show. She's kind of got a sexy thing going on. And she makes... But she has that one weatherman who's obviously interested in her. And she doesn't want it. And she's very yeah. resistant. Yeah, so there's sort true. of a It's a character she's playing. A character within a character. Mm-hmm. And it's very artfully done. Because you watch her do the voice into the microphone and then turn it off right. and go about her day. So it's interesting, but but in a lot of movies, that trope that you're talking about, I mean, if you even act a little slutty or put off a little vibe of mm-hmm. sexuality, anything besides absolute purity, then yeah, you're done. Right. Carpenter seems to have a thing with implicating children. 
in these types of stories. So at the beginning of The Fog, the the actor Hausman, I remember him from The Paper Chase. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. So he played a, a law school professor. But he tells this ghost story, and the kids from Stranger, Stranger Things are there. Yes, listening. they are. <laughs> it looks just like them. And uh, I kept waiting for Eleven to pop out with a nosebleed and, mm-hmm. like, the driftwood from the Elizabeth Dane to go floating by. But no. But he implicates the children in the story. They not only hear it, Adrian Barbeau's son finds the driftwood, brings it to to home, brings it home, and then she, for whatever reason, she decides she's going to take it to the radio station. Yeah, why? This would be better at the radio. Hey, station. a dirty old thing from the sea. I'm going to take it to the radio station. And what was what was written on it? It was just a piece of lettering from the the bow of the, the Elizabeth bow. Dane. Is that what it's called? Pretty sure. Yeah. But then she gets it up into the radio studio where she's propped it on top of tapes. Mm-hmm. Bumpers, basically. Yeah. And it starts juicing. Secreting. Secreting. Seawater. <laughs> and then it says... Well, there's other salty sewer. Six must die. Doesn't it say six must die? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. We need some coffee. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I thought that scene was creepy too, and then it catches on fire. Well, there's lots. Of, I mean, it's a great ghost story. When you think of the level of effects mm-hmm. that were available at the time, and the fact that it had a super tiny budget, of one only, million dollars, yeah, one million dollars. So it was pretty tightly done. The second trope that that Carpenter more or less disabuses himself of is the whole idea of holy ground. Ooh, or yeah. the the church's sanctuary from evil, because this is very much a uh, it's a ghost story. There's a, the spectral evil from beyond, and in a, in a lot of stories, in a lot of traditional ghost stories, you know, the priest and or holy ground are protections from mm-hmm. from the beyond. And I mean, these sons of bitches are going right into the sanctuary. They don't give a damn. That's right. So I thought that was it was it it stands out to me as sort of a non-traditional carpenter even though it's one of his earliest films the fact that he more or less di- digresses from the formula for which he's most famous mm-hmm. so the Well before this he'd only done Halloween right and he'd done some he had done some director for hire stuff, but right. this this and Halloween were the only two that he had written and directed. Right. Thus far. As far as I know. They weren't pornos. Did he really direct pornos? That's what I heard. I'm going to look this up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> if a John Carpenter porno exists, I'll post it. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. Just like Halloween, Carpenter did the music. So the music is subtle, and... You can find the entire soundtrack on YouTube. There's even an extended extended version of the soundtrack, which plays right. for almost an hour. Which is incredibly <laughs> electronically realized. Yes! So in the opening credits, it said, Composer, John Carpenter, John Carpenter Electronic Realization, and another name. Dan Wyman. Was that who it was? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we we had to stop and joke about electronic realization. What does that mean? That John Carpenter said, "Okay, I want it to sound like this." Do 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 do, 
And then the guy said, okay, on his keyboard. And that was the realization of the electronic stuff. I don't get it. Discuss it with me. I don't know. That's something you would have had to research to know the answer to. I don't know why I would know that. Electronic realization. Instead of engineer, can I put electronic realization on your bio? For what? You're putting our voices into the electronic atmosphere and dispensing them on the internet, right? Sure. I guess I could call you the electronic dispenser. Yeah. Like coin operated? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Like a sanitary napkin? Those don't so much dispense. I dispense absorbency. Yeah, no, they just absorb. No, those little dispensers in the bathrooms? Those oh, dispense. I thought you meant like the vagina is dispensing and the napkins are absorbing. You're so gross. You're so evening. gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> want me to talk about diarrhea? And I really want you to tell that story. Too bad. Doesn't work. Doesn't fit. <laughs> it's a good fit. story. It's a good Doesn't story. Fit. Doesn't work. Mountains of shit. If fog had come out of my butt, I would tell the story, but there was no fog. I wish it had been a light mist. So here's something interesting. You know the scene where Stevie Wayne climbs up on top of the radio station and... Stevie Wayne. That's that girl's name. Stevie Wayne. (laughs) The kids in the hall reference. God, save it it. for the show notes. Okay, I'm putting it in the show notes. The spoon feeding. Jason doesn't like to spoon feed. I've got spoons in my apron pockets, and I'm going to use them. All right. All right. So there's a scene where Stevie Wayne climbs up on top of the lighthouse because she's being chased by these fog demons. And she gets on top. The fog is surrounding her, and the things are climbing up the ladder and reaching out to grab her, etc., etc. Then all of a sudden, they stop because of something that we see that happens elsewhere she doesn't know what's going on she just is confused because all of a sudden the fog retreats and so do the ghosts so here's what she said about that and i thought this was interesting so this is from adrian barbeau's 2006 memoir called there are worse things i could do we shot one of the lighthouse scenes on a soundstage i had to crawl in fear to the top of the lighthouse pursued by ghosts barely visible through the fog Then suddenly the ghosts disappear and I'm left relieved and confused as the fog drifts away. This was 1979 and no one had a way to control the smoke we were using to simulate fog. They could blow it into the room and around the lighthouse, but they couldn't suck it back out again when the ghosts disappeared. I had to act the scene in reverse. Start with no fog around me, relieved and confused, and then shift to terror as the ghost was almost on top of me, and less terror as he was coming toward me, or something like that. I still can't explain it. All I know is that when I did it, I had to be very careful not to blink because they were going to reverse the film in the editing process, and if I blinked, it would look strange. Isn't that funny? So they shot it all backwards, and then she couldn't blink the whole time. That sounds awful. (laughs) <laughs> but she does it convincingly because I never would have realized that A, it had been shot backwards. You can tell sometimes you're watching movies and you can tell when something has been shot in reverse and then played back. I mean, you like you like like when they shoot, like they want a cup to fill with water instead of break. You know right, what I mean? Right. So they break it and it spills and then they play it backwards. Like you can tell. But in this instant. The editing's really clever. There's no long protracted one single point of view shot 
Like mm-hmm. I think it's cut together really nicely so that you, you don't fall into any kind of like long tracking notations. You don't notice what's what's going on that way. Because I mean, if, if you hadn't read that, if we hadn't read it in that book, I never would have realized that's how they'd done it. Mm-mm. And we're at the point now with CG that we kind of take those types of, of effects for granted as possible. Like mm-hmm. we just assume, like we were watching the other night that tourist trap and the effect of the glasses in the opening attack the attack room falling well shooting out of this cabinet and and realizing that the lengths to which they had to go to to make that effect possible right they had to build the cabinet on the ceiling and drop so they could drop straight down yeah if you guys haven't seen tourist trap it's a a movie i just discovered i'd never heard of it it stars chuck connors it's late 70s it is crazy it's really good i think we're going to cover it on a future episode definitely it's also on shutter but it's amazing to me the amount of quality camera work there is on this film, uh, despite its really low budget. Mm-hmm. I agree. I had read online that one of the reasons why it has this kind of special look, the fog, is that he he did film it in widescreen. So kind of that like that uh, two to one to thirty five ratio. That means nothing to me. Well, just it is really very panoramic. Yeah. It's very like broad and. In the same vein as play Misty for me, it's kind of a love letter to the area. Right. There's a lot of beautiful shots. Definitely. You know, lighthouse and the. And they moved to the area, right? I mean, in real life. Yes, in real life, they actually moved to that area. I dig this so much. Yeah, uh, when John Carpenter was location scouting, he found that lighthouse in Inverness, and he told Adrian Barbeau, "This is where I want to." finish out my life like this is where i want to be when i die (laughs) which clearly didn't happen i guess not he didn't finish his life out there one of the things where was i going oh i wanted to say that he was in the film i don't know is this a regular thing i'm not john carpenter was in the film yeah he does he make cameos you told me i don't i don't know if he makes cameos in all of his films i don't recall seeing him in halloween but now it makes me want to go back and look. Me too. Where did you see him in this movie? So in this film, Hal Holbrook, who plays Father Malone, at the in the very opening scenes, mm-hmm. is having a little something something to drink, and the handyman comes in to let him know that he's finished with the work. Well, the handyman is John Carpenter, a young, stoned-looking. I did not notice dude. that. Adrian Barbeau's mother is one of the extras. Oh yeah. I don't know which one. <laughs> she, I think she's during the centennial celebration. She's up on the stage. One of the ladies. Oh, she's part of the city council. Mm-hmm, I think so. But it's when uh, John Carpenter's character leaves that Hal Holbrook finds there's a uh, a disturbance that breaks some of the stonework, and that's when he finds his grandfather's diary that outlines the whole conspiracy that created the town that crashed the elizabeth dane which was a ship full of lepers i like the way you said that full of lepers 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 like where do they pull that from like clearly you're straight from the bible like there's some there's some interesting imagery at work and the fact that carpenter does play with the whole idea of purity from the standpoint that father malone the current father malone is disgusted with his grandfather's conduct Yes. And the conduct of the original 
six conspirators who hatch the plan to lure the Elizabeth Dane to the rocks near the shore through the bonfire on the beach, masquerading as the lighthouse and thus killing all the lepers and Blake, their leader, their rich, their millionaire leper leader, Blake. Millionaire leper leader, millionaire leper leader. Say it six times fast. I have a heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> six times fast, huh? Six must die. Da fog. So I, w- I was wondering, after watching the film, were the persons who were killed blood relations of the original six? Not in the movie, but I read on the Wikipedia page that... And there was a book, like a novelization of the film made that goes deeper into the story. And yes, the six people who were killed were all descendants of the lepers, of the six people who died on the boat. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, of the six no people sense. who, cons- the six conspirators. This is why we watch movies and don't write movies. No, oh, I'm just tired. <laughs> the six conspirators. Right. Yeah, that's why I kind of got that vibe yes. because there was, like when they come back for Father Malone, even after he's proffered the golden cross forged from the stolen booty, right. Blake's booty of the gold and is returned to the ghosts. But if all the gold was in the cross, what did they use the gold for? I mean, if they just made a big cross with it, what was the point of stealing it? There must have been other wealth as well. I don't, I'm not so really they, sure. They just left, like that was their change? If that was the only gold or if that was the only money, how did they profit from... Turning it into a cross. No, how did they profit from the shipwreck? Like what would have been the whole point? Right. The, the diary, the grandfather's diary indicated that the original Father Malone was not down with having the leper colony just a mile offshore on an island which he was conflicted about but still he conspires with the others what did he think they were gonna do spit on the fish and put him back in the water well what's interesting is i read an interview with john carpenter where they asked him if he was trying to make a comment on u.s colonialism whoa so whether or not this was a direct calling out of u.s policy in relation to native americans and uh, mexicans so from that early period so the treatment of of the peoples that were more or less already here in california and the southwest and he carpenter evades that he was said he wasn't trying to make a direct statement but that he was more or less trying to call out civilization in general he makes the comment something to the effect that every nation's success is built on oppression and basically thievery. Oh, well, so, he's got a point. Yeah, so it was interesting. And, and I think that's upheld by the idea that he doesn't give... Blake has a very kind of bland... We never learn his last name. We don't know if it's like Blake Sandoval, <laughs> you know, or, you know, Blake Two Feathers. He's not given a an ethnic or or a racial kind of uh, identifier, yeah, signifier to narrowly categorize him. But I thought it was interesting that that they picked up on that so early in its release. I mean, I think it's just a classic ghost story. It totally works. It has a lot of the distinct elements, 
the effects are really well done. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're not exposed to blatant, obvious gore. Yeah. In fact, he went back and added what little gore there is. Right. He went back and did reshoots, and that was to compete with all the gory stuff that was popular at the time. So what do you think drives someone like Carpenter to tell a ghost story? He goes from a rather kind of... I feel Halloween was groundbreaking in a lot of ways in that it publicly tapped into more of the serial killer, the strange, mysterious stalker person persona. It's a very kind of American... Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of went... To me, Halloween is so perfect because it's so simplistic. You know, it's just... It's a guy busted out of a crazy house. Yeah, he's killing people. He's got sort of a diluted reason for doing so. But But he diverges from the straight boogeyman narrative because he does identify it. It's a person. Well, true. He has a childhood. He has a story. There's someone who knows. There's like a historicity to him. So it it it's divested of the the supernatural. Although there are some strange aspects about Michael Myers. But in that first film, he seems ultra resilient. But you more or less get the idea that it's just a really strong, crazy person. Yeah, that's true. But you go from that film, and then John Carpenter's next film is The Fog. Yeah, two totally different entities. Apples and oranges, really. And it's much more of a... There's some really cool characters in The Fog. And they're a lot more developed. Yes. They get a lot more screen time. It's not just teenagers. Yeah. What's... Something that John Carpenter does really well, I think, is to isolate a group of people so that the viewer feels like they don't really have anyone to turn to. And in the case of Halloween, they're all stuck in Haddonfield and it's a small town and, you know, it's old and sleepy and there's just nobody to help, really. In The Fog... They're in Antonio Bay, and it just seems very isolated. There might be a main road that'll take you to the next big town, but you don't feel that when you're watching it. And then there's, you know, Escape from New York, The Thing. They're all isolation. You're not getting help from the outside. In The Fog, he does that cool thing with Stevie Wayne where she is broadcasting over the radio. Okay, The Fog is turning down Main Street. And, you know, if you're there, go this way, go left, go right. You know, I think that's a really cool element where she's literally telling people on the radio, okay, it's coming down this street. So go inside, lock the doors, don't open them or, or keep moving. Don't go toward it. If you go this way, you'll be going into it. Right. And I thought that was a really cool element. I think that's one of his biggest gifts is his ability to make even the viewer feel isolated along with these characters. The ghosts seem to have an uncanny understanding of modern machinery. So they took out the generator at one point in the film, like the town's generator. Yeah. And they, they cut out. So I thought at one point I was like, why, how is the radio station even still operating? Operating. Operating. Operational. <laughs> and and I guess it reinforces the idea that they, they're they somewhere isolated because you just assume that everyone's listening to their, this radio station. Yeah. Like everyone. there aren't a lot of options. Yeah. Everyone. So. This is li- literally the only radio station. It's the only broadcast from like four in the afternoon till midnight. One in the morning. One in the morning. Yeah. 
What's funny is she does this whole sexy shtick on the radio, and there's lots of euphemisms in the things that she says right. on the radio. But even the kid and his babysitter were listening to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just the cheesiest, like, whitewashed jazz. Oh, yeah, the worst music. But to me, I felt like she doesn't want to be home with her kid. Yeah. <laughs> because she's, Why would you pick this? she goes to sleep at 2 in the morning after he's already asleep. He wakes up. She's still in bed, you know, and it's his lunchtime. And then lunch he goes time. to school. Then, yeah, she, and then he gets off school. She says bye, and then she goes to work. Goes to work. I'm like, here's somebody who don't want to be around her kid. Although, I mean, she clearly loves him. She makes a big deal about Well, you know what? That little turd picks up weird driftwood yeah. and brings it home. So, you know. Who knows what else he's putting in her who knows? bedroom. <laughs> She's probably got crabs crawling around in there. Yep. <laughs> I found it on the beach, Mom. Uh-huh. We're not talking about driftwood crabs. I kid. I kid. I love Adrian Barbo. I was implied. Oh, I was implied. I've got my spoons out. Got your spoons? <laughs> I'm filling Feeding. them up. Feeding the listeners. Feeding little babies. Open up the hangar. Or your little airplane's going to come That's why in. they haven't sent no emails. They don't know how to eat little no, buttons. with their fat, baby fingers. Five baby fingers. Send them on my message. Google Gaga. More spoon feed. More spoonies. More spoons. I think everyone's probably rolling their eyes by now. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what else? What so what was what was your what really worked for you about this film? What works for me is I love anything that has a water setting or a watery coastal. background, coastal ships on the sea, anything like that, anything to do with water like calls to me and it, it get, has an extra layer of creepiness because you can't see down into the water you don't know what's down there it's just i love water and then i also am kind of fearful of oceans and things you know large bodies of water where you can't see what's underneath you so there's something about that that's kind of titillating to me in film so that already i, I like that that background that setting right and then I'd wondered if he'd been drawn to that area because of the birds, Hitchcock. That's not too far. That's all. Bodega is very close. There's uh, several of those scenes, and the birds are filmed off of Tomales Bay. Oh, really? Which is would have been where her, where Adrian Barbo's house is, and where you see the ghosts attack her son and the babysitter. Oh, okay. Well, I just wondered. I wondered if that had anything to do with him looking in that area in the first place. I don't know. According to the Wikipedia's. It says John Carpenter stated that the inspiration for the story was partly drawn from the British film The Trollenberg Terror, 1958. And that his love of horror movies first stemmed from It Came From Outer Space. That was the first horror film he saw. So, I mean, I think that just... Oh, it says he said he was inspired by a visit to Stonehenge with his co-writer, producer, and then girlfriend, Deborah Hill. While in England promoting assault on Precinct 13, Carpenter and Hill visited the site in the late afternoon one day and saw an eerie fog in the distance. In the DVD audio commentary for the film, Carpenter noted that the story of the deliberate wreckage of a ship and its subsequent plundering was based on an actual event that took place in the 19th century near Goleta, California. Huh. Neat. Again, useful information yesterday. Yeah, no. Sorry. 
I mean, you with your diarrhea, me with my neck pain. I, you know, what are we going to do? Swing and a miss. What was that diarrhea Swing story and a miss. again? Swing and a miss. <laughs> I'll get it out of him. Don't worry. It's, it's a good it's story. It's already been taken out of me. It's a great story. <laughs> it's explosive. I have maybe never laughed so hard in my life. <laughs> with the exception of another time that was another diarrhea story, not involving Jason. I mean, he was there. Part of me knew it was best that you weren't with us when it happened. Because <laughs> when what happened? You would have been useless. You would have provided no laughing. help. We would not have gotten out of the theater. I've already said too much. <laughs> already said too much. That's the best. Old people. So what didn't work about the film for you? Let's see. I'm not going to say anything didn't work. I didn't like the music that Stevie Wayne was playing, but honestly, the music is so unimportant. It doesn't matter. You know, the music that she was playing. John Carpenter's music, his score is important and effective. But her the music she played, you know, you kind of have to chuckle like, oh my God, people listen to this. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, but, I, you know, it didn't bother me. Uh, there's that 70s acting but if you don't get that in a movie from 70s or the 80s, it's like, ah, it's too perfect. You know, you like, I like a layer of cheesy acting in my movies, although a lot of the acting was really good. Yeah, I think really as far as the acting, one of the things that didn't work for me was Hal Holbrook. He kind of was on again. He seemed a little over the top, a little more a little of a caricature. Of. And I didn't really buy into the super sensitive drunken priest, priest yeah. thing and that's why he is his as the underlying reason for his reactions being as intense as they were like all movies that i saw when i was a child it's difficult for me to pull out things that i don't like because i have such a nostalgia for them it's very difficult for me to look at any movie that i saw back then and loved back then and to say oh you know it's great but i mean i just can't <laughs> i can't find many flaws with any of the movies that i have nostalgic feelings for that doesn't mean there aren't any flaws it's just, you're not gonna get them from me because right you know no it is hard it is uh, we've talked about this uh when we watch movies that we really like mm -hmm. and then trying to podcast about them because we, yeah. you tend to take them a little more seriously yeah. it's hard you, and you want to be entertaining and not boring right not just read from someone's memoir you don't want to be like this yeah <laughs> episode but but i think you can't help it i mean yeah. we're gonna watch stuff that yeah has has, has history we have a personal, deep we have a deep respect personal roots personal roots in this film and a deep respect and you know i did i do like john carpenter's electronically realized <laughs> score uh-huh uh-huh but what stands out for me is how modern interpretations of that type of music of the whole when i when i think of films like it follows mm. and then the current netflix series stranger things mm -hmm. they are doing john carpenter electronically realized music yes so much better yes <laughs> than john carpenter it's true so i mean they're inspired by the original. Damn kids these days. They're taking old stuff and making it better. Editing it super tight. Ugh, so, damn it. So good. Trying to show us up. 
But no, no, I think this is a really good film. I don't, I don't know that it stands out as a lot of Carpenter fan, Faniac's favorite, but it definitely in the Carpenter canon is one of my probably top five. Oh yeah, me too. Now again, if it wasn't set in a beach setting, I I don't know that I'd have all the same feelings. I'd still would enjoy the story. I'd still like it. Right. But there's like an extra, like it gets an extra star because of if that you, setting. If you, if you take Kurt Russell out of the Carpenter film equation completely, then The Fog's probably number two for me. What's number one? Probably Halloween. But only if you take out Kurt Russell. Right. Otherwise, it's The Thing. The Thing all the way. All the way. The Thing, Big Trouble Little China, Escape from New York. Really? Over Halloween? And then I would probably do, I would do Halloween and Fog. Hmm. I would do the thing. I mean, if I was trying to be arty, I would put Halloween higher up. No, but, no, but you if don't I'm, need to be arty. But if I'm just... honest about the number of times I've seen, hey, you do you, boo. You do you. <laughs> For me, it's, I'm gonna go on pure enjoyment, like fun watching. Halloween would be number one. On merit of excellence, the thing would be number one. But I'm going to go pure enjoyment right now. I'm going to go Halloween, The Fog, The Thing, Escape from New York. I don't have Big Trouble in Little China on my radar. What's another Carpenter movie? God. Halloween 2? <laughs> I don't like it as much. Isn't Tom Atkins in Halloween 3? He is. He Halloween is in 3. Halloween 3. Yes. Yes. And I recently uh, heard. But Michael Myers isn't. Yeah, you know, that's a maligned movie, and I think it's fun. There's no Michael Myers, but I think it's a fun movie. Have you seen it? The third one? Yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, we're doing it. I'm the noob. We're I'm doing always it. the noob. Jason's the noob. I, I've been watching horror films since I was a, a wee lassie, and I've always loved them, and I still watch, I mean, I regularly watch them, so just when I'm sitting around, I'll put one on. I mean... It's just a part of my oxygen. Jason is kind of new to it, but I think he's becoming one of us because I've seen him, you know, shuffling around the Shutter account, looking for stuff. He's even started looking at writing a screenplay for funsies. Too much, too much. I mean, he's getting into it. It's my secret life. And my, my point is he's getting into it. When just a year ago, he probably would not have shuffled the Shutter around. But now I catch him doing it. So I'm like, are you are you becoming one of us? <laughs> I think I'm beginning to appreciate its therapeutic value. As, yeah. As, as my worldview becomes more and more bleak, and it seems likely that, <laughs> you know, the human race won't last another hundred years, I kind of see the cathartic release of yeah. some of it. So visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcorn and pod people. Visit us on Twitter at... At Popcorn and PP. Popcorn and PP. And... We were recently asked on Twitter what we thought our... What uh, our favorite movie was. What our favorite scary horror movie, movie was. was. And, and you I, you answered... The Thing. The Thing. I think it is like the all-time best scary movie, in my opinion. I mean, I knew I was kind of... Well, then I answered, hey, there are two of us here. And my favorite movie is Aliens. Uh, he, they, I think they, they, they asked scariest movie. It is scary. Is it? You don't think Aliens is scary? Your butthole does not twinch no, up. I, I guess, yeah. When did, the little is, kid is caught scary. in the room in the med lab with Ripley and the face hugger. 
My butthole still squinches up watching that. I'm like, don't there when when Newt is on the floor sleeping and you know what's about to oh, happen. Oh, that's the worst. So I just shared on the Facebook page an interview with not McCready, but the other guy at the end of the movie. What's his name? Do you remember? Anyways, not not Kurt Russell, but the other guy. And they were talking about the ambiguous ending and all the fan theories. I was not aware that there were all these fan theories. To me, the ending is not that ambiguous. They freeze to death. Like, that's the end of it. And the thing dies with them. No, the thing just goes dormant until, just goes dormant, until they're found right. again. But apparently there are all these fan theories. And one is that when McCready hugs him, he uh, McCready is releasing breath vapor from the cold and the other guy's not. So people are assuming that he's got the thing inside of him. Another fan theory is that when McCready gives him the jug with liquid in it, that McCready has given him gasoline to see if he drinks it, if the thing will pop out. And it doesn't. So I know it's crazy. So this guy was doing an interview and he's like, what? No, that's crazy. I've never even heard that. (laughs) That's just some wishful fans wanting both to be somehow... So I won't spoil it, but he says what he thinks the ending means. So go to our Facebook page and you can see that interview. And visit us on Patreon. Get yourself a bumper sticker. You can just email me with your address and I'll send you a bumper sticker for free. Sure. It says I'm an official pod person. Sure. The plus, pod. Plus that email. Yes. Somebody please email us. <laughs> you didn't. You'd have been so mad at me if I said that. I said vagina, and you gave me a look. (laughs) You can say Pyman. Not okay, buddy. Pyman. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we're done with this one. Let's go. Get some waffles.